Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Monday the 18th of September 1950. That was the day that Arthur Benjamin, one of Australia's most famous musical artists, celebrated his 57th birthday and his long-awaited return to his home city by saying that Sydney was the pits. I'd never heard of Arthur Benjamin until I stumbled on a little article in that day's issue of Sydney's The Sun newspaper. The headline caught my eye, quote, Pianist says Sydney terrible. The article said that this noted performer and composer was back for the first time in 22 years and was that night giving his final concert at the town hall. Asked his views on Sydney, Arthur Benjamin wasn't backward in coming forward. He said the harbour had been ruined by indiscriminate building, that the place had very little culture outside of music, that the city had no distinct atmosphere, and that its buildings were very dirty and the traffic was the worst he'd ever seen. Yes, yes, he'd been back to the Potts Point house in which he'd been born 57 years ago that very day, and though he'd shed a tear or two, he declared, the old dignified Potts Point has become so old and shabby. Arthur Benjamin told The Sun that he was still at the height of his musical powers because he'd started smoking and drinking when he was 15 years old, and these habits had fired his creativity ever since. Further, he kept himself youthful by only hanging out with young people. Quote, That's why I feel more like 37 than 57. Reading these opinions, offered at a time when an Australian returning home to criticise Australia was outrageous, made me want to know more about Arthur Benjamin. And, as is so often the case, scratching the surface proved fascinating. As we've heard, Arthur Leslie Benjamin was born in Potts Point on the 18th of September, 1893. In excerpts from an unpublished memoir quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald a century later, he said of his artistic beginnings, quote, my first memory of a musical sound is of my father's whistling when he had picked me up, a fractious babe, from my cradle and was walking me up and down the room until my wails died down. The Benjamin family moved to Brisbane when Arthur was three and here he had another early musical memory. Quote, we had an upright piano and I can remember crawling beneath the keyboard while my mother played and pressing my ears against the wooden case, all the time fascinated by the movement of her feet on the pedals. Arthur absorbed it all and at age six, he made his first public appearance as a pianist, playing Chopin's waltz in C-sharp minor, even though he didn't know how to read music. When he was nine, he began formal lessons and was given some bark to study. He recalled later that he said to his teacher, quote, This is very modern, isn't it? You see, nobody had told me that Bach was dead. A year later, age 10, Arthur wrote his first song, and he felt confident enough to send it off to Ada Crossley, then one of Australia's most famous singers, who politely said it wasn't quite right for her. This prodigy attended the Bowen House School in Brisbane. 
There, a chance visit by Thomas Dunhill of Britain's Royal College of Music led to a private audience in which Arthur sang and played piano. Mr Dunhill recommended that the youngster continue his studies in London. In 1907, when Arthur was 13, he and his mother did go to London, where he spent a year taking private piano lessons. Returning to Australia, he attended Brisbane Boys Grammar, but his heart, mind and soul were still back in England. After school, aged 17, he got a job in an orchestra on a cruise liner and went to London. He won a scholarship to the Royal College of Music and studied with Thomas Dunhill and other leading musical figures. By then, perhaps even earlier, Arthur had also realised he was gay, though he had to be careful because homosexuality was a criminal offence in England, just as it was in Australia. When war broke out in Europe in 1914, Arthur enlisted in England's officer training corps. He served as a second lieutenant with the 32nd Battalion Royal Fusiliers, which meant he saw much bitter Western Front fighting in 1916. Apparently, his 70-page memoir made no reference to his war service, perhaps indicating he didn't think it was of much consequence, or perhaps indicating it was so traumatic he didn't want to have to relive it. In late 1917, Arthur took to the air as a gunner with the Royal Flying Corps. According to people who knew him then, he loved being in the air, even though it was incredibly dangerous. On the 31st of July, 1918, Arthur's plane was shot down over Germany. He and his crew crash-landed safely, and as was the gentlemanly practice at the time, the German pilots landed and came to shake hands with their new prisoners. The leader of the squadron, hand outstretched, Hermann Goering, future marshal of the Nazi Reich. One of Arthur's mates would much later quip that if he'd only pulled out his pistol and shot the German there and then, the world might have been saved a lot of trouble. Instead, Arthur spent the next four months as a prisoner of war. It was during his time behind barbed wire that he composed his first violin sonata. After the armistice, Arthur returned to Australia in 1919, taking on the role of Professor of Piano at the Sydney Conservatory. But the lure of London was still too strong, and he went back in 1921 and was appointed to teach at the Royal College of Music. Arthur had his first musical composition, a string quartet, published in 1924 and in 1931 had success with his first opera titled The Devil Take Her. He was renowned as a concert pianist and as such premiered George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue in England. In the early 1930s, Alfred Hitchcock was Great Britain's hottest young film director. But while Hitch had made a handful of good silent and talky thrillers, his first truly great suspense movie was 1934's The Man Who Knew Too Much. And Arthur wrote the music for this hit, with the highlight being his wonderful Storm Clouds Cantata, which also featured in Hitch's 1956 remake of this film. Arthur's other movie scores included that year's Leslie Howard vehicle, The Scarlet Pimpernel, and 1937's Wings of the Morning, which starred Henry Fonda and which was Britain's first Technicolor feature film. Arthur's most famous composition, and the one he's remembered for now when he's remembered at all, was 1938's jaunty Jamaican Rumba. This tune was a worldwide hit, and for helping to put Jamaica on the map, its government would send him a cask of rum every year as a thank you. Also in that year, Arthur moved to Vancouver in Canada where, 
As a conductor, performer, lecturer, and commentator, he would, over the next seven years, become one of that country's most famous musical figures. During this period, 1939 to 1945, Arthur also undertook his most serious and ambitious work, the composition of his one and only symphony. Vancouver was also where he'd meet and fall in love with Jack Henderson, a young Canadian musician who'd be his partner for the rest of his life. They moved back to London in 1946 and the following year, Arthur composed a fanfare for the marriage of Princess Elizabeth to Philip Mountbatten. Then, in 1950, Arthur was invited back to Australia by the ABC, who wanted to celebrate his 50th anniversary as a performing musician, thanks to him starting out at what he called a ridiculously young age. Arthur was to tour for six weeks, playing concerts in Sydney and Melbourne, the shows comprised entirely of his own compositions, including his first ever piano concerto. Upon his arrival, the Sydney Morning Herald said he was Australia's, quote, best known and most active of composers, more famous even than Percy Granger. At the Sydney Town Hall, Arthur played piano with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Eugene Goossens, who he'd known since his early days in London. In Sydney, along with telling the Sun newspaper everything that was wrong with his home city, Arthur urged the federal government to give the Arts Council of Australia £500,000, which was £500,000 more than it was presently getting. Quote, When I read of amounts like £130 million being earmarked for defence, I am convinced that half a million pounds, more or less, would hardly make any difference. That sort of funding for the arts wouldn't come for decades. After Arthur's successful 1950 homecoming tour, he went back to England. He continued composing for the stage, including an award-winning 1951 opera based on Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, and writing music for the screen, notably the score for the 1953 documentary The Conquest of Everest. In London, Arthur lived well with Jack and enjoyed the city's social and theatrical scene. That fondness for Siggy's, though, likely contributed to his cancer diagnosis in 1957. Even so, he kept on working. That was until 1960, when the cancer forced him to cut short a world tour and seek treatment in Middlesex Hospital. Arthur Benjamin died there on the 10th of April 1960 at the age of 66. While his death made the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, Arthur would gradually pass into obscurity. Unlike his contemporaries, British-born Eugene Goossens and Australian-born Percy Granger, whose scandalous sex lives ensured they were kept in the historical picture. It's a shame because Arthur Benjamin truly lived a rich life. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Just a note before I go, like many Australian podcasters, my shows are labours of love, mostly supported by money I earn from other work. For the next couple of months, I'll be juggling Australia on this day and Forgotten Australia with a full-time day job, so I'm going to do my best to keep producing episodes as often as I can. Thanks for your patience and for listening, and if you've got a moment and you'd like to help Australia on this day reach more people, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.